welcome to the Stadio podcast with me, Ryan Hunt. The reason I'm doing the intro is because Musa is in London, but he's on the phone. Hey, how's it going? You good? Dude, winter is coming. Winter is coming. It's already here. It's so weird. So I'm obviously here in London. I was here for a wedding, a friend's wedding the weekend. And look at my wardrobe and what I packed from Berlin. I'm just so ill-equipped. Oh, no. It's, it's so grim. Like being in London... I don't want to be that guy who's like, oh my goodness, I'm living abroad now, everything's better. I will just say that the, the conditions, like the weather, the temperature, it's not even the wet in London, it's the type of wet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's the thing it's, about that. I always say to people about Berlin is that it gets super, super cold in the winter, but it's like a dry cold, so it's almost more easy to deal with. Right, and it's because actually the buildings, I think, are lower and spread out. Yeah. And so the kind of pollution or whatever doesn't congregate. And the cold doesn't, it's not as musty. It's not a, um, it is a dry cold in Berlin as opposed to this kind of musty cold. Um, and I'm already getting a bit of a, I'm sure I'm going to, I'm quite blocked up already as a result. So yeah, I oh, can't no. wait to get back. Oh, <laughs> no. Anyway, anyway. Oh yeah, before we do go into the football. Yeah. Um, so today we're going to talk about Samuel Eto'o. We're also going to talk about Women's Super League, which returned this weekend, just gone, some international yep. stuff. Obviously, men's football is on the international break. There's been Euro qualifiers and friendlies and stuff like that. It's been football every day. It's been... Yeah, yeah. saturation, saturation. For sure. Um, But before we go into the football, we... They should be up by the time you listen to this. We've dropped our first set of Stadio t-shirts. Yes, yes, yes. So, we did it with Everpress and we've done our purple logo on a Stanley Stella unisex premium organic t-shirt. So it's like fully ethically sourced, 100% organic ring spun cotton. You can get it in white and you can get it in yellow. So they'll be up on Everpress. They're about, I'm not sure what the, what the pound conversion is. They're 23 euros and 50 cents. <laughs> it's very important, oh that 50 cents. <laughs> euros, it's more like, more like 80 pounds these days, but anyway. It's going to be a 100, oh 100 pound t-shirt. So yeah, they're only going to be on sale for two weeks and we're not sure if we're going to do another run of them. So basically, we might keep them super limited for the purple logo. So yeah, we'll post the link on Twitter. Go to twitter.com forward slash Stadio or at Stadio and check out our first load of teas. Keep one for me as well. I keep my money back, but I'll, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're going to be so on brand everywhere we go now, just rocking Stadio teas. OMG, press conferences, exactly. 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 When we do the li- when we do our first live podcast, it's just going to be all all gammed up. Boss levels, boss levels. So, let's talk about football. Should we talk yeah, about should talk about Sammy? We should, we should, we have to. Um, now, this is the crazy thing. First of all, when I'd heard that he retired, I was like, "Wow, he's still playing." And then, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I was like, "He's still playing." And it was like when Rivaldo retired, I was like, "Wow, Rivaldo's still going." And then I looked and I was like. Etu is still only 38. Yeah. And then I was like, that means that Etu basically left, you know, absolute elite football, elite football, really, at that level, he was a regular starter, at about 30. Like, he ducked out of football at an elite level when he was 30, 31. It's wild. Well, I mean, he joined Chelsea in, what, 2013? Yeah, but as a regular starter. I mean, mean, as a regular starter. But he had so many different clubs. One of the reasons he had so many clubs is because he went to Real at a particularly brutal time in Real's history. So he went to Real, I think, what, 
when they were like on their run of three Champions Leagues in five years, 90th, 2000, right? Now, you look at that team, there was no room for a young player, let alone a teenager in that side. It's not like Vinicius Jr. now at Real, where the team is basically in disarray. You had a solid team that was winning Champions Leagues like every other year. So there was no room for him in that team. So he he went to Mallorca and made his name there and then became an absolute boss. And that's why Barca went after him, because he was scoring a ton of goals in La Liga. And I really think a key reason that he bounced around a bit, you know, it was the Guardiola thing, because Guardiola and the character issues, if you look at the players that Guardiola absolutely loved, they're the players that basically just sit and take instruction. And Etu was never that dude. Does that make sense? Yeah. Actually, I think and, I think he probably yeah. would have fitted. He would have been a better fit for Guardiola now than he probably was at Barca. If that makes sense. Oh, why? Because Guardiola is now more used to that kind of ego, and maybe is outside the confines of a club with his expectation. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Because of the element of random, or not random, but the, that element of surprise from Etu and more individualism. I think actually there's a space for those kind of players in the Guardiola side now, or one yeah. or two maybe. But there's, there wasn't, I don't think. I think Guardiola has back then. maybe relaxed. I think maybe Guardiola has relaxed into the role of management slightly more. I don't know because back then it was like control, control. And there's a great story actually. Graham Hunter's done a great essay on Samuel Eto'o about how Puyol, Xavi, and Iniesta actually had to go and meet Guardiola in a preseason meeting and say, "Listen, <laughs> I know you don't like him, but he's not like Deco or Ronaldinho, who've allowed their professionalism to drop, their standards to drop. This is a very, you know." Etu was, I think when Guardiola arrived at Camp Now, he saw them all as kind of part of the old guard. Yeah. But he didn't realise that Etu's not unprofessional. He's just really vocal. Yeah. It's a bit like those Dutch players. You know, like there's a great essay by um, Simon Cooper about Clarence Seidorf in the Financial Times about how Seidorf just never stops talking. And the, the moment you realise that Seidorf is not a bad dude, he just loves talking, then you're okay. Fair to say he's probably, well, I don't think he's probably at all, but massively underrated looking back. He's on the greatest 10 strikers maybe of all time. You could argue that. Yeah, I'd definitely say 15. You could argue, yeah, you could argue 15 is 10 maybe pushing it, but 15 you can definitely argue. Uh, Should we go full Bill Simmons on this? This sounds very much like a Bill Simmons podcast. Are we naming them? Are we going to go through them? Why not? Listen. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let me roll my sleeves up. He's better than Fernando Torres. All right, well, let's start from who's the greatest striker of all time. Weirdly enough, it would have to be, I mean, allegations notwithstanding. You'd have to argue maybe Cristiano Ronaldo would be number one. And I would say Brazilian Ronaldo, number two. Now, my favourite striker of all time is, is, is Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo. But in terms of sheer weight of goals and importance of goals and consistency of goal scoring, I think you put Cristiano Ronaldo at the very top of that list. Okay. And what about, I think um, who else have we got? Once you start looking at it, the names fall away pretty quickly. Like, I love George Ware, I love Ware, but Ware didn't have the volume of goals. Oh, do you know what? Do you know what, Musa? We're going to have to wait until we're in the same room to do this. Okay, cool. Don't worry. Because this this is the the whole podcast in itself, I think. But keep keep that in there. Those are the opening shots. That's right. Those are my top two. And Etu, I think Etu's going in my top 10, to be honest. Yeah. Because there there was not a single challenge that Etu failed. There was not a single challenge he failed, getting back to him. If you look at it, he went to Real, he got chucked out. He got made his way at Mallorca. He was brilliant. Went to Barca, was dominant. Scored the opening goal in two Champions League finals. The opening goal, like, set the tone in two of those games. Um, was amazing at Inter, was self-sacrificial. Played as a winger if he had to. Two straight trebles. Wins two African uh, Nations Cups. Wins an Olympic gold. I mean... And he was also involved in that weird 
era of ANSI when everyone went to ANSI. Do you remember when they had loads of money? And he got paid. Etu never, ever lost his level. If you look at all those players that lost their agility, explosiveness, Etu base had the longevity of David Villa. Mm. And he scored more important goals than David Villa. What's that chirping I mean, away in the background? That's a Batson Birdsong. I don't, know, listen, I don't know if in Berlin you've got Birdsong. My mum lives actually just outside London and it's a really beautiful idyllic and the back garden is the size of like a cricket lawn. It's lovely. Are you in the Shire? Uh, I'm in the Shire. Listen, I'm a country gent. People don't know this about me. There's a lot of people who don't know this podcast, but I'm a country gent. I know you're a Lord of the Rings fan, but you know. I'm literally on the, I'm literally in the manor. I mean, that was, that was <laughs> how beautiful, how beautiful was that birdsong? We've even got wood pigeons here. Maybe that well, uh, really. maybe that bird was disagreeing with your with your <laughs> with your viewpoints or agreeing. <laughs> it could be agreeing, yeah, exactly. It could be agreeing. Um, um, yeah, yeah, I think I think Etu, when you look back, just such an explosive, intelligent, dynamic, deadly, like so deadly, such a deadly yeah. striker. I was watching a load of his goals back the other day, and there was one that I always forget, and it's such a in in when you just view it straight away, it doesn't really look like he's done anything. But there's a goal he scored against Athletic where mm. there's like a, bo- a ball into the box, it's quite a high ball, and he kind of goes to jump with the defender, but then at the last minute, he kind of steps back away from the defender. So the, the defender almost gets bought into jumping. Off balance, yeah. And he's off balance, and he misses the ball, and the ball just drops on Etu's toe. And I was watching it, and I watched it again and again and again, and I was just like, that is so clever. He's kind of really like, almost like, I don't want to use another bird analogy, but it almost is like a bird of prey in a way. There's some, there's another couple of goals that he scores where he ignores the obvious areas of space that defenders would think he's going to go into. And he kind of like pulls round on the blind side. And the amount of times that he nips in between either a defender and a goalkeeper or two defenders or whatever, when you just really wouldn't expect him to be there. And the way that he slows his runs in order to then yes. speed up and catch them out. His his intelligence of movement and his the way that he would almost like track his runs or map his runs, if you like, was so well, was so studying. underrated. Well, he was constantly studying. There's a great story about how he was um, in his hotel room one time, and one of his teammates goes up to see him, and he was watching like third division games on local TV, just to watch the movement of the of the strikers. He's amazing. He's and you can see that because I mean the guy never dropped below. He basically was a goal every two games his entire career, mm. up until 38. That's unreal, considering some of the roles he played. Because in some of the teams he played, he wasn't playing as a central striker, mm. or he was playing as a sub coming off the bench, not playing a full 90s. So, you know, Etu, the thing that makes him so amazing is if you look at the great strikers, right? Like, we talk about Brazilian Ronaldo, who had all the attributes. So you look at, like, you know, the attributes of a great striker, and Ronaldo had the attributes of Van Basten, Batistuta, and, and five other players. And Etu had the, you know, he had the, what, the one, he had the speed of Torres. He had the touch of, well, the speed of Torres, the strength of Shevchenko. I mean, the heading ability of, I don't know, a Beerhoff. So to me, he had like everything, absolutely every attribute. He was a nine and a half out of 10. And you're right, his movement was unreal. And I think it was strange because he was so good. He was so effective. And I think because he was from Cameroon, he was underrated because I'm not yeah, saying definitely. that was no. even a race thing. Not even a race thing. It's more, if you're English, then the English media will talk about you because you're playing for the national team. Mm. But a bit like with Falcao was underrated because Falcao was Colombian. So we didn't have the kind of, you know, Fal- we didn't have the Colombian press in our ear the whole time going how amazing he was. 
Mm. Um, and I think that's why Can, Cam, that's why I sort of Etty went under the radar because he was from Cameroon. But what he did, you look at his legacy, and it's it's astonishing. Yeah, for sure. Going to be yeah. definitely remembered as one of the all-time great strikers. Yeah, it was on the way here we, on, we, when I was about to do this podcast. I was going, oh yeah, I was like greatest African strikers. Like, hang on a minute, greatest striker. Like the guy's top ten, arguably. Like, I don't. As when I say top ten, I look and I think. I can't think of any many players I would have rather have than him in the team at his peak. And that includes Henri and that includes Drogba. And that includes Weyer. Like, that really is how that... Etu was that good. Mm. You know what I mean? It's, it's only when you step back, you're like, oh my goodness, and this, you know, this, this week of reflecting on his legacy, actually, Etu just keeps climbing the charts. What you a know? guy. What a guy. Yep, um, yep, yep, he was that guy. Right, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and do the rest of the stuff. We're going to talk Women's Super League, which returned the weekend just gone. Did you catch any of it? I did, actually. I was watching a Chelsea Spurs game. And which I absolutely loved. Um, Actually, this would be a good place to start because I was yeah. going to start with Chelsea Spurs. So, what I loved about it was it was like a kind of um, Chelsea were kind of like a they were dusting off after like the after the after the, after the off season, and you could see them kind of going through the motion slightly. The second half, and they won one 0 in the end uh, after an early goal from Beth England. What was really impressive was. Even when they were kind of resting in possession, even they were kind of playing in sort of third gear, they just had so much in midfield. I mean, the structure of that team, when the when the goals start flowing, they really aren't going to stop, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was really a weird, I think it was a weird one Sorry. this weekend because I think only yeah. Arsenal-West Ham had more than a goal in it or more than two goals, I think. Right, right, right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. this was, I think, down to the scheduling issue that, that, I mean, why the Women's Super League started three days after an international game, I've no yes. real idea. Um, I think if they were going to wait for till September to start the league, they could have waited another week, ideally. You know but but unfortunately, so unfortunately, though, the I don't think they could have done that, or it would. I don't think it would have been that beneficial because Women's Champions League is back this week. So there was a good piece that we mentioned on the podcast last week, I think, that Susie Rack wrote on the Guardian about. Mm. the scheduling issues of the women's champion uh, of the women's super league yeah. and you know you look at some of the other leagues and they've been back a while now can i be honest with you susie rack actually alluded to this in her latest piece maybe the kind of scheduling away from the premier league you know so it had they had an uninterrupted run at the league while oh uh, yeah that's a good league point actually yeah that's a good Do you know point. this is i'll tell you why because it's funny watching this game as well it, it became quite clear quite quickly what Spurs had to do because the sort of Chelsea midfield diamond was so strong it allowed Chelsea allowed players who were basically recovering after like international fixtures or, or games away to really just control the game without having to push forward too much mm. does that make sense so so I think I think you know Chelsea held the ball in that diamond and then every so often they break forward almost as if they were kind of it sounds a bit pretentious but almost like counter-attacking in possession so holding the ball and then just breaking out now and again, uh, but not really committing themselves too much because actually Spurs are really good on the break and down the flanks. And it was funny because it was like Spurs' strengths actually matched up very well with Chelsea's weaknesses and vice versa. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I was really impressed with Spurs, actually, having just come up from the Championship. In the same way, I was really impressed with Manchester United, who obviously played at the Etihad against City on the Saturday in front of yeah. just over 30,000, which is a women's Super League record. And there was 25,000 at Stamford Bridge on Sunday. But both United and Spurs playing a side who went to the semi-finals of the Champions yeah, League last semis, season. Yeah, the semis, yeah, yeah, yeah. And looked and really good. could have scored a couple of times. <laughs> to be honest, I think Spurs could have sneaked a point. There weren't that many clear opportunities. But if they got a point, obviously a great result. But I feel like this was a good result for both teams because it gave them both something to work with. The player that was outstanding, I think, well, the overall the best player on the pitch, I thought, was Drew Spence for Chelsea. Yeah. But I was really impressed by Gemma Davison for Spurs. Yeah. Like, the movement off the flanks was unbelievable. I think Gemma Davison worked out very quickly in the game. The best chance they had was to arrive at central positions as late as possible. Yeah. Because the you, you always had three Chelsea players patrolling that space in the 10, the 10 spot. So the, quick was, the, the trick was to make quick cuts into the um, top of the box. I think, actually, expect a lot of goals, or the, the majority of the goals for Spurs, that the flanks and those sharp cuts are going to be really interesting this season. Yeah. But this year, this year, I mean... That, that player, Ji So Yun for Chelsea, is just on a different level. Yeah, and you got Frank Kirby to come back as well because she was injured for the weekend. So, you know, Spurs could have got a point. That's the funny, that's the thing about this. They could have got a point. They had chances, as did Manchester United in the Manchester Derby on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, Saturday. United's keep, City's keeper was just playing out of her mind. That, that, that's why the draw, I think, didn't happen. Um, but also, Weir's goal. Weir, I don't know if people haven't seen it, but Weir's oh. goal for City, the match winner. I mean, there were some was, great goals this weekend. Like, Considering there wasn't a hu- well, there weren't a huge amount of goals. Caroline Weir's in the Manchester derby. Beth England's in the Chelsea Spurs game. Yeah, and then Farrah Williams scored an unbelievable free kick for Reading. And then Beth Mead for Arsenal. <clears throat> oh like, yeah, Beth Mead's as well. Yeah. I haven't even. Oh, yeah, I didn't even mention Beth Mead's. That was amazing. <laughs> it was like you know, like in baseball, like a line drive. Yeah. It was like a clean. I don't know if it hit. It was on those grass cutters. I don't know if it, it like stayed. <clears throat> you know those ones they they hit it and it stays hit. It I think stayed it was like, hit. Uh, it definitely stayed hit. It stayed hit in a hipster way. That was probably my favourite of all, just because it, it was, was just so goal. clean. It was so clean. Um, Carry on, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Arsenal beat West Ham two one and got let off as well. They could have um, West Ham hit the bar towards the end and. Yeah, um, Arsenal missed a very good chance at 2-0 as well. Van der Donk could have put it away. Yeah, from like four um, yards. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, that was a 2-0. And at that point, the one thing I would say was interesting with um, Arsenal was, and this is maybe, a, I'm overaking it, but playing out from the back might be a slight issue. I think just a team that has so much possession, and it, you saw it slightly with Chelsea, a team that has so much possession does sometimes get caught when building up. Mm. Um We'll get into this as well, actually, maybe the internet, if we actually get to what's happening with Germany, the men's yeah, game. Yeah, we will do um, that in a bit. The, the, the Germany, Germany fullbacks are having that trouble tr- with the transition, like playing out from the back as well. But yeah, that's I have story. thoughts yeah. on that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> we actually got a question about the Women's Super League from Jessica Malone, at Jessica Malone 85 on Twitter. Thoughts on yeah. the first weekend of the Women's Super League? Big crowds at Man City, £7 tickets, and Chelsea, free tickets, but only 1500 at or less than 1500 at Liverpool in a stadium that holds over 13,000. Admittedly, the stadium is not in the city, but they've had months to promote. Mm. So, I mean, we kind of mentioned it a little bit in terms of, you know, like you said, Susie Rack mentioned about giving it the space away from Premier League fixtures. I found, Mm. I think the Liverpool one could have been promoted a lot better, like Jessica says. Mm. Um, 
there wasn't a huge amount of pushing it through the Liverpool men's Twitter account. Channels. Mm. And, but also, like you say, I mean, having that city, um, having that then play away or out of the city because they play at Tranmere's ground. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a... I just think, do you know what it is? <clears throat> I think that Liverpool right now, as a club and as a community, is in such a good place that if they continue to integrate that into their sort of socials and whatever, I think you'll get the crowds. Like, I'm not... But I think, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's a really buoyant mood and there couldn't be a better time to really to push the team through those channels. Yeah, I mean, I would have, I I would have really liked to have seen them maybe play at Anfield in the same way that I would have really liked to have seen the Arsenal women's game played at the Emirates. But then again, you know, I remember Tim Stallman saying something about this. That actually, that's not their home grounds. That's not where they play their home games. So yeah. actually, do you sometimes lose that advantage? As, go- as great an occasion as it is, do you sometimes lose that advantage of not actually being in your familiar environment that you play every, every other week? So, right, right. I mean, it's, it's great to kind of grow or to showcase that, but then also actually are you doing them a little bit of a disadvantage? It's a funny one. I mean, I'm not, I, I would love to, pers- personally, I would love to get to a stage where you have the scheduling is combined so that you can basically have both teams playing at the actual stadium, you know. All the yeah, time. that would be amazing. And then just have like reduced prices. Yeah. And then just, just fill the seats as yeah. they did actually fairly well um, in, 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 the, in the derby of United, the, well, City United derby, Manchester derby. Yeah, they did really well. And I think because the top level men's football is so expensive now and a lot of people are priced out of that, I think that you have a real opportunity there as a fan to really get involved for a, <laughs> a price that isn't going to kill but look, you. I got, I, got to watch, I got to watch a Women's Champions League final. Yeah. I got to watch Frankfurt Paris. Like, you know, that was amazing in 2015. And how many people can say they went to a Champions League final? And it was great, just a great, it was a Champions League, it was a great game. And you look at now, the beauty of what's happening at these clubs like Chelsea and Spurs and Arsenal, the Manchester clubs, is that they're just full of internationals. You're going to see unbelievable football. They can't even use the excuse, oh no, the level's not. No, these are like brilliant footballers. Yeah, we've had like, this conversation I'm, so much. And we're well, just like, like, yeah, but we said this, but I'm, I'm very spoiled. Like I've said, I talk about Wolfsburg, I joke about being an ultra, but I'm very spoiled because Wolfsburg have, I mean, this year we'll hopefully go and catch quite a few of their games, but they've got, like, they're stacked. Mm. I mean, that, that is actually a really nice introduction. And, you know, and think about the fact that like, you get to watch the best footballers in the world in the middle of your city. That's a pretty awesome proposition. Yeah. yeah and that's definitely. how they should be selling it. They should be really bullish about it. Yeah, if that, if that makes sense. Um, so it's Women's Champions League returns this week, and then yep. more rounds of games at the weekend. So we'll yeah we'll touch on that more next week on the podcast when we're back together, yep, yep. reunited. Yes. Um, should we move on to cool. internationals? The only place I really want to begin with the internationals is Germany, because if I'm being perfectly honest, and this kind of alludes to a question that we had from our good friend Justin Salhani, where he said, "What is mm. the best way to stay up with international football?" I feel so overwhelmed when the international breaks come and end up not watching anything. And that's kind of where I've been at a little bit with this international break. I've watched some stuff, obviously, but I've, I found it really hard to keep up with, especially because, just, because of the return of the Women's Super League as well. And mm. just, you know, just stuff. There's just so much stuff. It's really hard. Can I say that in amongst all of those, the pick of them was Holland, Germany. Yeah, well, this is, I think, the most in- yeah. interesting kind of story from the biggest or the bigger kind of 
footballing nations, if you're like, oh God, I hate that phrase, but you know what I mean, is yeah. what the hell is going on with Germany? Because they lost 4-2 right. to the Netherlands on Thursday, was it? Or Friday in Hamburg? Friday. Friday. After going ahead, got back level with a Tony Kroos penalty. But the Netherlands just looked an extra few percent ahead. Maybe more, They were a different actually. level. Yeah. And actually, it's funny because these are two teams... Actually, that's wrong. Not going the opposite direction. I think Germany is still rebuilding. And the German front three does look very interesting. You know, Gnabry, Royce. I mean, who would have thought Gnabry had been there a few years ago? Amazing. Do you know what? Gnabry um, is, their, is their most important player at the moment, really, I think. From an which is kind, which is a little bit scary, actually, because as you know, Gnabry's a very fine player, but he shouldn't be the best player in a Germany front three yet. He, sh- he, sh- he shouldn't. He shouldn't. He shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, not yet. And that, I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe Marco Royce is, but I mean, I'm saying that he. I think at the moment he seems to. He seems to be. You know, there was that run of games where him and Sané had together yeah. up front, and they were. It seemed to be that that was the direction that. Love was wanting to take that German side in. Um, Jonathan Harding yeah. wrote a really good piece on the SPN actually about uh, Yogi Love and this German setup. I'd go and recommend reading it because it does give you some good insight into, you know, Love's transition away from kind of the Guardiola model of possession into being more of a kind of counter-attacking team. Um, but unfortunately, right. at the moment, they just seem to be stuck between a number of different kind of philosophies, if you like. And it doesn't really seem to be working. It hasn't really seemed to work since the World Cup, really. They had that one game away at the Netherlands, right? When they mm. when they looked a little bit more impressive. And it was kind of like, all right, Germany are back, you know. And now they have this sort of midfield access of Kimmich and Kroos. And they're using that because they want to use... I and mean, actually, it's funny. They're using both fullbacks from Leipzig. Yeah. RB Leipzig. It's weird. It's weird. The two footballs in Leipzig, they've got Kroos and Kimmich in the midfield. In the midfield, but Kroos is not himself. I mean, you saw him in Northern Ireland. He played. He played that same pass he played against uh, Abar when they lost three 0 Real lost that crossfield. You know, I mean, the crossfield infield pass. Where you're like, whoa! Like, why are you doing that? Like, a player of your quality. So, you've got this midfield anchor who's not anchoring. Um, Neuer is in goal, which is weird because Ter Stegen has been better for the last two years. Yep. I mean, that's the sort of the low of loyalty thing. Well, this is, is the weird, this is we the weird, sorry to, sorry to cut in, but this is the weird no, thing please, about yeah, that please, whole please. scenario when Love kind of essentially ended the, the international careers of um, Hummels, Boateng and, and Muller. But yet Neuer yeah. got to stay and I never understood that. I never, ever understood that. I thought if you were going to make such a, I mean, in my opinion, very questionable decision because yes. I think that he would have been able to gradually phase those players out in terms of playing time but having them around I think was, is really important I mean having like Jerome Boateng in, in the squad and having right. young Bayern players in there I think is really important same with, with Thomas Muller and the same with Mats Hummels getting rid of them but letting Neuer stay was super super weird to me well, isn't, I don't know if it was Jonathan Harding um, in his excellent piece or someone else who was talking about how Boateng was such a loss to the squad because he would like to sort of barbecue the team yeah. and whatever and really organise community stuff. And I mean, I, some of the other guys, I mean, Noy doesn't strike me as the kind of dude that does that. And not, not, not these, I'm not saying he's not a leader on the pitch. It's just that you've got rid of the brains trust and maybe some of the guts of that, of that dressing room. And 
I don't know. I, do, I don't say that I fear for Germany because that would be a bit dramatic, but they're not in the top, top tier. If you look at Portugal beating Serbia 4-2, Portugal look dangerous. No one's going to fancy playing them. But you look at Germany and you don't think of international teams looking at them going, I'm frightened. You're frightened to play France because France are winning without Pogba and winning easily. Um, I know it was only Albania, but the way they brushed them aside was really something. The Netherlands, France and Portugal really are at that top table and Spain as well are looking dangerous too mm. um, and Germany unfortunately are kind of like they're pretty far behind in the chasing pack I have to say yeah I agree I think I think it just seems to be a little bit too confused for me at the moment and I actually think this goes back and this is hindsight but this goes back to something we said after the World Cup last year and them giving the DFB giving Love a contract extension before the World Cup reeked of arrogance and it hadn't played out it's kind of put him in a corner where it's going to cost them a hell of a lot of money to yes. get rid of him. And actually, after what happened in Russia, it was the yeah. perfect time to refresh and to get yes. some new kind of energy and ideas into that squad. And I respect Love for moving away from that past philosophy and understanding that he doesn't really have the players to do that anymore. And, the, get, and that yep. the game has changed from when Germany won the World Cup. But also, Kimmich in midfield, nah, sorry. He's one of the best young fullbacks in Europe. Play him at fullback. This is very, very different to playing a 30-odd-year-old Philip Lahm in central midfield after he's been at the top level for over a decade. Can I be harsh? Go on. Kimmich in midfield for Germany is about as effective as Lahm in midfield for Germany. Uh, well, I actually disagree because I think that there were well, actually for Germany, yeah, fair. Sorry, I'll take that back because I was thinking. I, I love definitely Lama thinking. Midfield for Bayern. Yeah, I that's where him. I was thinking. Yeah, but but Kimmich in midfield, you look, you saw the dichotomy, the brilliant pass, this outstanding pass that led to the opening goal uh, for Germany um, in the four-two defeat. Kimmich played this stunning pass in midfield. You get the playmaking from deep, but you don't get the match control. Yeah, and that was the problem with Lahm. They had to take him out of midfield because he didn't have the match. Control in that configuration, and if you look at the, um, and if you look at the yeah. forward players and midfield players that are available to Germany, you know right. Kai Havertz isn't starting games, which I find frankly a little bit bizarre with this current kind of setup. Yeah, exactly. Considering he's starting games, he's not starting, but he's finishing them. Look at his assists. Yeah, against Northern Ireland. Yeah, he came and handled business. You know, he's played with Julian Brandt for years. Um, he knows well a few years because he's only a wee bairn, but. Um, <laughs> It's just there's just uh, there's way more questions than answers about Germany, and there has been for ages now since the World Cup. And yeah. do you know what? Like, if I'm being perfectly honest, they don't excite me like they used to, which is a shame no. because the players that they actually have coming through the squad now are quite exciting. I don't want to completely slag off Love because the guys won a World Cup, but you know, it's like when when Arsene Wenger was going through his latter years at Arsenal and so I think it might have been Andrew Mangum from Arsenal he came out with an amazing quote once where he said you know sometimes great men need saving from themselves <laughs> that's brilliant you know I think it's I think I think love I think it's like then it's a good time to play them yeah for sure because oh, for sure. sometimes yeah. you can be sometimes you can be out of ideas yeah definitely and at the, at the moment <clears throat> at the moment love looks he looks short of ideas. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's switch to the Netherlands because we had a couple of questions. One from Dan Collins and one from High Life Carter. Is from Dan is Wijnaldum for Netherlands exactly what Klopp wanted Cater to be? 
can you play the two in front of Fabinho in a midfield diamond? And uh, I mean, do you want to cover that one first before we move on to the second one? Uh, no. You don't want to cover no. it, or you? <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I think one album's no. I think one album and Kater coexist perfectly. Yeah, I agree. I think they're just they're perfect eights. They're perfect eights. You can play. Look, you can play. Fabinho is so good at screening. You can. We'll ask the questions together. Fabinho is so good at screening. You can play definitely two men in front of him. You don't need him in like a configuration of. You need Kimmich and Kroos because neither of them really cover the ground mm. individually. But Fabinho allows you. He liberates to do that. And Wijnaldum, I think actually, you know, Kate is a better dribbler than almost anyone really in that role. It's not disrespect to Wijnaldum. Wijnaldum is basically a wonderful player in so many respects. And actually, you could argue slightly more versatile than Kate, only because Wijnaldum can be a nine and Kate can't. That's the one thing Wijnaldum can do that Kate can't, I think. Um, Interesting. But I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't offset them as players. I think they're just perfect eights. Yeah, and also I just think that Liverpool have done a pretty well Jurgen Klopp has done a pretty good job of configuring his midfield to whatever the opposition yeah. does so having Fabinho Henderson Milner Wijnaldum Keita Oxlade Oxlade Chamberlain <sighs> as well you know that's that's six pretty handy options to have at your disposal in midfield depending on what the opposition or who the opposition are or what the opposition do so yeah uh, I w- I, if I was a Liverpool fan I wouldn't be too worried but um, moving on to High Life Carter's question. Okay, so why is Memphis so good for Holland? Where can he go from a club perspective to replicate this good form that he has been playing for his country? Why would he leave Leon? He's happy. Well, I think that's part of the thing. Yeah, I he's think at being Leon. off that, he's... off the no disrespect to Leon, but being off the radar Have a you... little bit compared to Have obviously being to at Leon? Manchester United. Listen. I was like, why do these players always stay at Leon? You know that time they won seven leagues in a row and Chris and Kashapa were there and uh, Juninho Pernambucano. Like, these players like Sydney Goffey, they won seven in a row. And I'm like, why are they staying at Leon? Yeah, there's and then a you reason. go to Leon and you're like, okay. Yeah, like, for anyone who... I'm going to mansplain the hell out of this, but for anyone who hasn't been to Leon, <laughs> right? Yeah, there is definitely a reason why you would stay in Leon. Vibe. Leon is a vibe. Leon, Leon is, is a, a very, vibe. very, very wonderful city with incredible food, incredible drink, incredible wine, architecture. incredible stunning co- architecture. Yeah. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm still on food chat. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> incredible sorry, coffee, that. incredible sweet stuff. For, like, you, I'm surprised you've not moved there, to be honest, the amount of cake there is there. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> If I sell a big book, I'm going. Listen, sell, don't even joke. Don't even joke. If I sell a big book, I'm going. My French is pretty good. Like I yeah. tell you, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm out. I'm yeah, out. The stadiums, so are, that, the stadiums, amazing. The fans are amazing. The vibe is amazing. The weather's really good. You're very central to. You can get to pretty much anywhere else in France really easily. There's, it's, yeah. Lyon is a is a really really good place to be. I think Memphis found happiness the same way that. Balotelli found happiness at Nice. Like, sometimes players need a resting place. And you look at it, the context, sometimes you forget, this is something Jonathan Harding's mentioned in his book. It's a brilliant book, Mensch, actually. Bit of a plug for that. It's a great book. Jonathan talks a lot, and we're friends, we're very good friends. We talk a lot about, like, people have to look at the player as being more than just what you see on the pitch. And Memphis Depay, like, he's had, like, he's had a difficult existence. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's had some difficult times. And... You look at Leon and he's actually got a resting place. He's loved, he's respected, 
He earns great money. He doesn't have the expectations as he did United of kind to resurrect a dying empire. And frankly, those are challenges which many players didn't match up to, not just Depay. Depay went into a Leon team where the expectations were lower, where the quality was high, the lifestyle was great, and he's now playing for a national team. And that's the thing. Depay has always been believed in by the national coach. Yeah. Regardless of whether it was Van Gaal or De Boer, like they've, the, the belief, he now has the belief in him at club level that he had at national level. So why would he leave that setup? Yeah, I like, agree. I think he's just staying. Yeah, good for him. Um, good for him. I We had loads of questions, but I think a lot of them were about club football. So I'd rather save them, not talk about the men's kind of club football at the moment for this week. Sure, yeah. But we can, we sure. can talk about it next week. But maybe let's wrap it there, huh? Should we keep it nice and brief? You're you're off to yeah. do some fancy <laughs> some fancy yeah. podcast. I'm getting jealous. No, it's not a podcast. It's a documentary. Oh, okay, sorry. It's right. um, it's a TV documentary about England. Oh, lovely. The country yeah. or the football? You thought, you thought you thought I was disloyal. Sorry, what's that? Sorry. The country or the football team? The football team, which we haven't mentioned, even though they beat Bulgaria four 0 Well, um, yeah, and they're, <laughs> we're recording this ahead of their second game. Don't worry. There's there's no other podcast. There's there's only you, Ryan. There's only Stadio. Oh, thanks, and before we do wrap up though I want to give a quick shout out to Romelu Lukaku and Belgium who looked very good and very smart in there I think that might be my one of my favourite international away kits actually that yellow and black mm. number um, Lukaku is on a quite incredible scoring record for Belgium and I'm uh, just happy that he's happy Yep, I'm just happy that he's happy um, there's a lot of players to- sorry Musa I don't want to I don't want to Chuck the grenade in, but Sorry. there's a lot of players who seem to move on from Manchester United and be very happy. You haven't heard me. Like, look, I said before, people say to me, like, oh, yeah, like so and so should sign for United. So, no, not yet. I don't wish Jadon Sancho on Manchester United or vice versa. I want Sancho to go where his game can develop uninhibited for the next two, three years. I really mean that. And I don't yeah, say, I mean, Sancho United, needs to stay at Dortmund. He just 100% needs to stay at Dortmund. United are going to be fine financially. We can afford not to sign a big player for a couple of years. I just want the players who are really blooming now to go and enjoy themselves because life is short. Look, I'm I'm old now. When I was 20, I was like, oh, sign the best players. Now I'm like, you know what, actually, I want the player to be happy. Yeah. I saw Lukaku score against Belgium, against Scotland, sorry, for Belgium. And I was just really happy for him. Lovely finish. And it was and a he lovely... made a beautiful he... assist as well. Oh, yeah, sorry. yeah that, that goal that uh, he laid on for De Bruyne was lovely as well. Yeah. Nice to see yeah. Thomas Vermaelen scoring still. Yeah, yeah, for Marley, that was amazing. That was amazing. I, there was a really some really nice moments actually. It was good to watch Spain as well. Anyone that didn't catch Spain's games, so Faroe Islands and Sabaos looked very good actually. And um, yeah, Spain. Interesting that his Romania, first actually, that was a cracking game. Yeah, interesting that he got called up or his first call up, I think, or first cap, like straight after signing for Arsenal. Interesting. Huh? I know it's, it's, we're meant. I'm so we're still meant to be signing off, but we're just still getting into it. Um, no, but we will, we will go. But one thing I will say, this is not, okay, this is not, I wouldn't say this is a shout out as such. Um, and I hesitated to mention it, but I thought I should talk about it. Um, so there was, um, it's quite sad. So then if you follow any of you who listen, follow Mona El-Tahari on Twitter. She's absolutely amazing. Brilliant writer. Um, writes on all kinds of issues relating to feminism. And um, there was um, a woman, basically Mona recently reported that a woman called Saha um, was trying to get into an Iranian football match recently just to watch a game because it's very, well, it's very hard, if not possible, for women to get into games in Iran. 
uh, to watch men's football. And um, she basically like took her own life quite recently. Uh, it just came out. And I thought I'd mention it only because I saw it reported by Human Rights Watch. I know that we talk about issues both on and off the field, but it just felt important to talk about this, given that like watching football for a lot of people, a lot of women is still, um, it's not, it's not a foregone conclusion. Yeah, so it's 100%. not, it's not an automatic, right. I just thought I'd mention it. it's not really a shout out. It's more of a kind of, this is an important thing that's happening. I'm not an expert on that field. I mean, there's some great experts on this field. I would say Minky Warden, M-I-K-Y, and then the surname Warden, W-O-R-D-E-N, was the first person to break the news. And Minky is the director of global initiatives at Human Rights Watch, but also a bit of a sort of football fan. Yeah, um, I would also so well, recommend... Well, check- I, yeah. yeah, sorry, I would also recommend following Open Stadiums on Twitter, at Open Stadiums. They are a movement of Iranian women seeking to end the discrimination and let women attend football matches, or just stadiums what? in general. They're a really good follower, and they post lots and lots of information and stuff about this so if you want to keep up to date with that stuff let's brilliant i just do that. just follow them now too yeah there we go yeah. Excuse um, me. Too. let's move it on and maybe wrap up a little bit so yeah don't forget to hopefully the the t-shirts should be available they're only going to be available for two weeks unless we extend it but maybe we won't so yeah support stadio absolutely pick one up if you can if you can't don't worry Follow us on Twitter at Stadio, on Instagram at Stadio Football, and Stadio.Football is the website. It's currently down because it's being built properly. So it Ooh. should be up this week, hopefully. If not, uh, we'll stick the landing page back up so you can still email through that. Please review us. Oh, sorry, yeah, please, please uh, leave a review for us oh, on yeah. iTunes. I forgot about that. Yeah, please, yeah, please leave a review for us on iTunes. Um, and a rating. A very nice one, if you don't mind. And a rating, yeah, a rating. Please tell a friend, tell an acquaintance, a newcomer. Tell everyone you know about everyone this, you know, yeah. about this weird <laughs> football podcast that you listen to. That would be yeah, great. Um, I realised that we haven't even really played out on a, any guitar music yet. So oh, okay. uh, I thought maybe we could play out on Pylon, track called Beep. Yeah, so we're going to play it on that. You'll be back here next week, right? And we'll be back to normal. That's right. Flying back, landing back in glorious Berlin on, on Friday. Right. We're going to leave you on Pylon. And dude, have a nice time in London. Thanks so much. Have a great one in Germany. I know. I might have to, might have to put a hat on. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> really windy. <laughs> Live a little. I know. Right. Live anyway. Right. <laughs> we're out. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>